Hello and welcome to Cracking the Code. Again, my name is Ryan Skinner, and today I have a unique guest. Um, there are a few guests that have come on that are people that I at one point probably wanted to murder, and then I'm more than grateful that God put them in my life. So today I have a, definitely one of the most unsung heroes in my life, um, professionally and personally. So Mike Higgins, welcome. Nice to be here, Ryan. <coughs> um, I tortured Mike to get him on here. And the reason being was simple. Um, when I was back in the days when I was having my struggles, and at this point I'm a full-blown heroin act, I've lost everything, there's a guy who rode me like a moped, tortured me, and saved my life. And then when push came to shove, and there was opportunity, you'll hear about it, to save my career and to save my life, really, um, first and foremost, nobody did more. And I'm not talking, I, my mother, my sponsor, nobody stepped up more and pushed me harder, but then was there for me when I needed it. At a time where I really wouldn't have thought. So, um, Mike, you know, you're, you're a guy who, you know, everybody says, you know, you, I always say you're like an iron marshmallow. You love people, you care about people, but on the outside, you're a tough guy. And you, you, you had to be, you're a probation officer. You try to hide the, you know, try to mask what you're gonna mask. Well, you have to be there. You have to be hot on people. Well, that job dictated that. But when, like you said, the end result is you got to look after the betterment of people. You can't be like that all the time. You got to put up the face. But in reality, I'm an easy pushover. Well, when, when I was doing the right thing, you got soft. You were caring. And when right. I was not doing the right thing, you had to reel me in. I mean, I was a heroin addict. Heroin addicts die. That's what we're supposed to do. And I didn't die because I, guys like you, Vimpero, Bobby, Rufo, there were guys God put in my life that were just hot enough to keep me in line but soft enough that I didn't commit suicide. Well, you gave me reasons. You kept me busy. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. I feel as though I kept, you earned your money. You know, that's well, a nice Well, you know, you get put on the radar by Rufo probably originally, and then Vinny, got, he was the boss, so he'd pass on the information. So we used to see you running around moving and uh, you weren't supposed to be, and you'd bring attention to yourself. So when you brought attention to yourself, it sort of forces all of us to act. But in reality, that's probably a good thing because... You know, what you were doing and the lies you were telling, not to be abrasive Let's there, be but the lies you were yeah. telling, we know that they weren't true and we knew you were up to stuff, but we knew you were an addict. But in that case, that doesn't make you a bad person. And it t it's taken society and people in this business a long time to understand those two aspects of it. Yeah, I always say if you're going to be a drug addict, you better be hitting, being a drug, drug addict and uh, whooping was like hitting the lottery. Because, and it was that time, you know, you and Vin Piero started that HEAT program. For those that don't know, it's called Heroin Awareness, Education Awareness Task Force. It basically went out during the opioid epidemic and said, hey, you know what? These people aren't bad people. They're sick and we got to help them. Yeah. We before you guys, I mean, how many beds were there before you guys started? None. And now, now how many programs are there in the state for addicts? For adolescents? No, for heroin addicts. No, for heroin addicts. Uh, that, that all depends. A lot of private programs, not as many state programs. There's TSS and CSS units now. But it, it, it's, it's more private than anything else now. But when we started that back in 2004, 2005, we started seeing an influx of younger age girls coming into the courthouse for larceny type charges. I mean, and it didn't make any sense to us. So I got permission from uh, our judge to like ask the surrounding seven towns, Wuben Handel, Wuben Winchester, Burlington, Stone, and Reading, North Reading, and I forget if I, maybe Winchester if I didn't say that. Yeah. But, we allow, they allowed us to start asking the prosecutors to keep track of younger girls coming in to the courthouse for larceny-type offenses, beanie of motor vehicles. And as it turns out, they were drastically increasing. And as it also turns out, they were younger girlfriends of older addicts. Yeah. And, and at that time, there was only what, there were like five beds in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts for girls. Me, right? So we were finding out <laughs> that we were committing kids 
to, to Framingham Prison because once you get the Section 35, which I'm sure people are aware of, yeah. but once you get to Section 35, you got to hold them, and, you know, and, and the prisons couldn't do so much work. So we started seeing a huge influx of that, and so we decided to try to try to step forward with that. We got all our math. We got all our statistics. We got what we needed to go, and it took us a while to move forward. And when we're trying to move forward, everybody coming in and telling us how to do it and what yeah. to do, and you know how that is. Because yeah. they all want to make money off, they want to justify it. And, and before they knew what was going on, this is probably a little before that, people started jumping on the bandwagon and coming up with these educational components, but we, wouldn't, we would not do that until we had the bed so we could back up what we were preaching. What you did that I think was huge. Um, I can say this, so you, know, you talk about state beds versus other beds. By the time I was with you as a young on probation, I went from a guy who was making half a million a year to homeless. I mean, my house was in foreclosure, no electricity, no food. Um, got caught stealing ginger ale from the corner store one time. You know, met, you know, when you're in your late 20s, you're caught stealing ginger ale. It's a, it's a low point, especially for a guy who had success at one point. And you guys got me into a treatment place. It cost me nothing. You know, it was court alternative program. I mean, I had to do a little time in jail first. Yeah. Well deserved, you know. That was a reflections cap, That's reflections. right? That's where I sent you, right? And you said to me, I'm oh sending God, you to New Bedford. That bring I, back you, a memory. He says to Holy me, I'm cow. sending you to New Bedford. I don't want you anywhere near me. <laughs> and I didn't even know where New Bedford was. And I was there, and I'll never forget, I get there, and my, 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 the lady, my therapist, or whatever you want to call her, she was a recovery crack addict. And she looked exactly like the woman that was in The Sopranos when they pulled up to that house and they called wow. her a crack whore. And next thing I know, she says, well, you got to go pray to God. And I said, listen, God, where was God when I was abused as a child? Where was God here? She says, you pray to God tonight. I said, I'm not praying to God. She goes, write a letter to God. You can write how mad you are. I go, I'm not writing a letter. She goes, I'll call Mike Higgins. I go, I'll write a letter tonight. <laughs> and I'll tell you, man, I wrote for seven days things I didn't like. And then I had a good visit with my parents. Then I had a good call with you. And then suddenly I realized all these people, like I would have told you, put me in jail. I realized that my behavior's put me in jail. And these people were going to help me. I, if I was ever going to come back, and I wasn't sure I believed I could come back, because I had, and what I want to talk about in a moment is I had this big case hanging over my head. And I'd done some jail time, but now the prosecutor, now I'm sober, she wants to put me back in jail. And I'll never forget, we were talking about this earlier, I go to court, and the judge says to the prosecutor, I'm not going to put him back in jail. He's sober, he's doing the right thing. His probation officer, who's hot on him, says he's a good, doing well. We're going to give him, he can agree to say that he's going to agree to the crime, but he'll get time served, I won't go back. So I'm thrilled. And she says, all right, we're going to adjourn for a few minutes. We'll meet in the courtroom downstairs. And now I'm just going to say, hey, I lasted from a person. Basically, I robbed a guy and knocked him over. And it, the, that wasn't true, as we talked about. I mean, I had robbed drug deals, but I had never robbed like a, I was in a fist fight. I walk by your office, and you tell me, hey, what's going on? And I said, oh, just, just give me time, sir. I don't have to go to jail. And here's a guy who I thought hated me. Walks into a courtroom and says, your honor, he had a good career. If you give him this charge, his career is over. There's no, who knows what will happen to him? Can we please give him, you know, I'll take him three more years probation. You, and you Three years probation would be it's like a death sentence. I must have you. been hung over that Yeah, you're day, probably right? drunk. I, mean, yeah. I don't know what it was going on. And the judge looked at me and said, I don't know, but if he's saying it because she knew how hard you were on guys, and, you know, you were disciplined with people, that if you were vouching for me, and uh, today in my career since then, I probably made, God only knows how much money I've been able to donate 100000 a year. 100000 a year I could donate. Think when, of what I need in life. I, and I told you anytime, no, you could no, have anything no, you ever no, need, I, I would do it in a happy because there are certain people that play a role that you know the success you have is built on other people. When somebody said to me one day, I was on a podcast, he said, what's it like to be a self-made millionaire? And I said, I'm not self-made. If you think I'm self-made, you're very delusional. I got a great sponsor, I have a great mother, I had a probation officer, a chief probation, and a police officer. Those five people made me, and I just took suggestions. And, and right now, Mike, what you're doing up in Bill Rick, I mean, you retired from this industry, 
And frankly, I knew you couldn't walk away because you love it. You love it. Once I got to know who you were, and I knew you loved helping people before, I just thought you were an asshole. But once I knew, well, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe that also. Yeah, me too. But when I saw like the fiber of who you were, and I said, this guy's not going to retire. And then uh, Rufo said, he's working with Bill Ricker. He's, he's, go, he's working because he wants to go help people at addicts. I mean, you could explain it better than I can, but basically, if there's a household in, in Bill Ricker that has an, an overdose, you're at the house the next day. Not even just that. Um, just to go back, if we could, a little bit. Well, it's still in my mind yeah. before I forget. You went to Reflections Cap as yeah. part of this deal to to uh, let the DA know that we can set it. That's a DA's recommendation, that Reflections Cap. You had to be, and the DA's didn't, she didn't know want anything about it. And she didn't, she didn't know you anything you about it. Yeah, but you had to go there after court that After time. jail, after jail. So after after jail, then after court on the Remember violation. they let me, I was supposed to go from jail to there, and they let me out, and on Friday I showed up, then you're like, what are you doing now? Yeah, but you had to go to that as part of the agreement yeah. for the continue without a finding. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Which was a tough program. But, but that was before the actual... You were one of their all-stars down there. I, I, you know what it was? When I got down there and I realized every kid was 10 years younger than me, I said, I'm a real fucking loser. I got to change. And I took a real look at myself and I said, you know what? I'm going to go... My only goal was so my mother wasn't embarrassed anymore. That was my only goal. I didn't care what I made for money ever. I didn't care if, I, if I, my teeth ever got fixed because it was smashed. I, didn't care. I just didn't want my mother to be ashamed anymore. And then I got so many more gifts from being down there. That lady who's my counselor... I fucking loved her by the end time I left there. Like, I cried leaving there hugging her because it was scary, too. I got to tell you, the odds were against you finishing oh, God, that, you know. No, that place was hot. If I got caught talking to a girl, they put you in a room with girls for the, for the meetings. The girls are on this side, you're on this side, five feet away. Now you're like a child. You're writing notes to cute girls, this and that. I get caught talking to a girl in the hallway, not touching, no, hands off. Like, literally, I didn't have the guts. I didn't want to go back to jail. I got put on this side of this, this rule, this strict, restricted thing. Then I barked at the lady who put me on. I said, you're out of your fucking mind. Then she put me on the height and thing. She goes, next step, I call your probation officer. You go back to jail. I'm thinking to myself, and I, honestly, this is stuff you would have been siding with me on. I mean, I didn't do anything. But it was just so, that. well, yeah, maybe not then. But I'll tell you, Mike, um, the place taught me that I have to have, like, boundaries. That I can't just run wild. And that you have to have respect for the system. But you completed it. At yeah. the, very few completed it. Did take the deal. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was a tough deal to it was the hardest thing I ever did. Yeah, I mean, but you did do it. You, you, you know, you're like a poster child down there. I've been out of there for nine years, but you're like a poster child. So you did do something. I go back right. there and volunteer when I like once a year. I get out of there. Do you? Are you fucking kidding I didn't, me? I didn't, I didn't even like, know it was still I, in existence. I, I don't know. I haven't done I, last year. I was 22. They were there. I, was, I didn't go in 23 yet. Um, because I, I remember leave, leaving that place and being like, and then they put, you remember, the, so here's the funny part. After the deal was, I do this for 90 days after I get and I get to go home. No, I didn't even have electricity. I don't know why I wanted to go home, but I got to go. You had we, something in your cabinets, probably. No, I wasn't going to use after that, because okay. my probation was so strict, I didn't want to go back to jail. I was so scared. <laughs> you, listen, you put me in the scared straight program after going to jail. Um, so then I go to, I go, we're meeting you, me, and Ben, and you say, well, I think you need another 90 days. We're going to put you in a half house, a whole house in Boston. Oh, and geez, I lose I my shit. About that. That's yeah. when I pushed you. Oh, yeah. And that's when you and Vin threw me off the wall. So I had the guts to push my foot. It was just an instinct thing. I didn't push hard. Vin slams me off the wall. You stand up, and, and Vin's like, you can walk him up if you want. And you, and you would know it. You were solid. You said, no. But this is showing me you need more treatment. And you didn't do anything to hurt me. You could you could put me in jail. And instead, you, you put me in the Hope House. You knew somebody there. You introduced we me to the guy who ran the, the guy. The, yeah. And he you, was Vinny's good friend. Oh, so you introduced me to him, though. And, and the guy was like, he looked out for me. And suddenly, again, I started, like, Little by little, there were people there to kind of... Egg How long were you on the Hope House for? Like I was there for 90 days. days, but after like 60 days, my counselor, the lady who was handling me from Reflections, because they, they handle that too, they handle a whole, your first year, 
I caught her smoking crack. So I said, if you don't let me out of here, I said, I'm going to rat you out. So she let me out. And you were like, why she let you out? I was like, I don't know. And then oh, Vinny's yeah. like, and remember you were fighting with Vinny? And Vinny's like, well, she signed off on him. I'm like, that's what you wanted. And, uh, I, and I, I pray for that girl still because I'm thinking to myself, God, I didn't do her any favors. Like, you know, I, I, I can't say what I want to say now, but that's okay. No, you can no, say no, no grave. No grave is deep <laughs> enough for Ryan Skinner. <laughs> Trust me, this grave's that I almost landed, and there would have been plenty of days. You could have cremated me. Well, so, but the, the, the result with you is if you're trying, some, some people just need the push to try. And I had never known about recovery, to be honest, right? Nobody in my family went to recovery stuff, so you guys were like the first. I didn't even understand, like, AA would work. And three stubborn guys right there between yeah, me, Vinny, and you guys, Rufo. You guys were like we were stubborn, but... You know what? We did learn it earlier. Bobby was a, it was a very good drug detective, so he mm. knew more than we did. Yeah, you think? <laughs> yeah. No, he knew more than we did. You know, he explained stuff to us, to Vinny and I, but Vinny and I learned the hard way about, you know, Vinny's a summable guy, I'm a woman guy, but the, dope, the opiates and the dope were all around that, that was area. Di- but that was different back then. When you guys grew up, everyone drank maybe some Coke. When this was, the, the opioids were a different thing, because the opiates, it was called, it was heroin was an inner city Project Except for usually Ruben was the heroin capital was it before really? that. Yeah. Oh wow! See, I yeah. didn't know that. I knew that after, and um, but the opioids came in, and nobody even saw that coming. I mean, you guys were the first. Literally, people would talk about you guys, and I'm like, oh, they're my friends, and they're like, no, and I'm like, no, I know these guys. I went through their program, and people talk about because it it's kind of legendary. Nobody did that back then. So the, to end the story we started before about um, the heat program and trying to get money, we. We'd have to sit through these facilitators come in with whiteboards, just trying to tell us how you got to yeah. do things, and you're sitting there like, get them out of here. Yeah, they have no clue. <laughs> yeah. So I finally just said, Vinny, I got an idea. And we invited all the, the state senators and state reps in our jurisdiction at the Woburn Court. We had them coffee, Danish, orange juice, sort of like you're doing with all your people out here today. You know, they'll come yeah. for the pies. Yeah, yeah of course. You know? So, yeah. So we got them in there, and they all showed. I sent a representative, and we gave our pitch. At the time, it was me, Vinny, and Danny Peronek, who was a Winchester cop. I think Danny's retired. We gave our pitch, and halfway through the pitch, to God rest his soul, Senator Bobby Haven from Arlington and Woburn, um, he stood up and says, Michael, how much money do you need? I said, 500000 I just threw a figure at him. We got it. We got it. They went through. Stevie Tolman, who you guys all know, you know Steve Tolman. He was a senator from the Watertown area. And he was the one that pushed all this recovery stuff in the Senate, and he was a powerful, powerful man. And we were lucky, Vinny and I had him as an ally, and we were lucky because the ideas, people would run by him, he'd, he'd run by us, and what we think, oh, Stevie, that's a great idea, if you can get it. Well, you might want to do it this way, you might want to get this many beds. And so we had a great in, and the people at the time didn't like it because we were a line item. Yeah. And as you know, in this business, all the money goes to the established people, and they just get it. Yeah. Uh, that's just how it works. So you guys out the Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah. And we became pawns in the big game of chess right away. Okay. But we learned. We had our beds in, up in Danvers. We had 10 beds. We wouldn't just let anybody in Is there. Is that Cab? It was a Cab you in Danvers. You guys got me in there, yeah. Yeah. So that's where heat was. And what we could do is we could have 10 kids. 10 beds, and we'd, we'd only take 18 to 25-year-olds that were new addicts, not seasoned veterans. I remember when you took me, you said I was so old, and you said the older you are, the harder it's going to be to get this. Yeah, well. I mean, it's true. It I see it now. Yeah. It worked, and it worked for a while. We had our conference. We it finally what, died. Yeah, let me ask you, what slowed down about that, COVID? Uh, I, yeah, that and other things going on, more people getting involved. At that time, Vinny and I were two probation officers finding beds for people every day. 
we'd get eight to ten calls a day, each one of us, yeah. trying to do our regular job, and then getting these calls to find beds for people because no one was doing that. Now, now it's a dime a dozen. It's good because I don't have to do as much, many calls for beds because they're all out there. Just the uh, just. It's kind of funny that I was you two knuckleheads. It really did. I mean, you can be humble about it. Well, I'm trying to be, but all joking aside, like, and you guys are humble about it. Vince is the same thing, but the reality is, there were two guys, neither of which had opioid problems. Both permission offices, you know, OxyContin hits this thing like out of nowhere. And you guys found the solution. And, and the thing was, you did a lot of trial and error. A lot of people would have thrown in the towel, especially where there were so many people dying. At some point, somebody would say, hey, you know what, fuck it, this isn't working. We went to way too many wakes and funerals in our <laughs> jurisdiction, a lot of good young athletes. And we were tired, even my family, family members. We, we might not have been involved directly, but we had both seen enough, you know? And you, you knew what it was. You had to get to them early. But you know back then, everybody back then, if you gave them a five milligram perk, they said, yeah, I'll take it. They took it like it was an aspirin. Yeah. And then when the perk, then the perk 80s came, yeah. and then the perk 30s. But as it turns out, every one of those w were, were a gateway to what you realize that you don't have to get that many perk 30s when you can just drive to Lawrence Lowell and get a, a finger well, and get just as high snorting the heroin. And that's well, what that, started the, the epidemic. I, go, I remember the first time I had no money for pills, and some kids said, take a bump of heroin, don't shoot it, but if you take a bump, it'll, it'll, so, and I did it, and I remember the next day saying, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it right, and I, and I was afraid of needles, I would have to look the other way, and then before I knew it, I mean, we're crying out loud, and I remember when I was going through fertility treatment with my wife, when I would do a fertility, to get my count up, I would have to shoot this stuff in my stomach every day, and she'd be like, aren't you gonna be nervous? I'm like, no, I fucking love needles, you know what I mean? And that's the craziest thing, is that like, it changed so much, it, it, take, it takes your soul. But, oh, yeah. But it's amazing that people that don't have to do it. I, I was just, I was blown away because when I look back at it, at the time, I just thought you guys were, just didn't like me and this and that. And I never realized that the people who literally could just go about their day, wait for their pension, just check the boxes, are fighting more for your life than you are. Well, so the other aspect was the hardest part of getting involved in the recovery end back then was that everybody thought, you know, some of them, woman, whatever, whatever. Everybody has their, their town, they got their background, they think family is the answer to a lot of things. Well, when you get involved in this end of the deal, there's, there's not, there's, the old school network doesn't work. No. You know, we got it where strong family will have a God doesn't fix you at first. We'll do this. And that's not, the, that's not the opiate recovery field. That, it's probably the polar opposite. So the yeah. hardest part for us to, push forward was understanding that and try to teach people how to go about it. And, and that was difficult because, you know, listen, and I say this to the day about anybody that gets involved in this field. I've been around it for 20 some odd years, but you don't want to do any kind of intervention unless you have an exit plan ready to go just in case they say yes. Yeah, it's got to be right on the spot. You've got to be ready it's for it. It's not tomorrow. It's got to no, be right you on the No, you've got to pull the trigger. Like Vinny always said, strike while the iron's hot. So we're in the middle of conferences with people and they, they indicate that one thing, cut it all, focus on that, have this phone call ready, let's go. And that's how it has to be. I tell guys all the time, if you come to me, so about a couple months ago, I went to an AA meeting, there's a men's meeting on Saturday mornings, and I walk up the hill where it's an outside one during the summer, and there's a guy in a sleeping bag sleeping with a baby carriage next to it, no kid. And uh, so I nudge him, I said, buddy, are you all right? He says, yeah, why? And I said, well, you got a carriage, do you have a kid? She's like, he's like, yeah. I was like, where's your fucking kid? He's like, my girl's got it. They come out of a porta party, his girlfriend, with the baby, who's probably two. And I said, I said, and I won't even piss there. I'll go piss on a tree before I go to that porta party. 
And I said, um, you know, I'm being honest, it's disgusting. And so I said, you know, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, you know, we're broke and please don't call cops, please don't call cops. I said, listen, you can't live like this. I said, are you guys addicts? She said, I've been on meth all year, I'm okay. And she looked okay, but you know what? Hey, if you're a mother, you could show up. She's like, and he's like, and I'm trying to get clean, I just can't do it. I said, please don't call. I said, listen, buddy, I'm a heroin addict. I said, the one thing I can offer you is a way out. I said, I will help you find treatment. I will help you find, I go, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a probation officer, I'm definitely not a cop but I can introduce it. I made a call to somebody who was able to introduce them to some people. The mother went to a place with the daughter where they live and they're treated. The husband went to another place for treatment and um, they've been there a month and a half. And like, and I, did, I had no connection, but I called this guy who could well, do it. that was nice. You well, know? that was me, Mike. Yeah. You know, when people don't realize, like when, when I wear polo shirts at work, you can see my track marks. Like that, I'm no different. I might drive in a nice car, I might tuck my daughter in and have a house. But the only difference is that people work, you know what I mean? Yeah, you learn from your mistakes. And well, and people help me learn. Right, and I think right. that, and I think when you're in that spot where I knew that guy, he, you don't think there's a way out. I never thought, when you guys were talking to me, I remember looking at you and thinking to myself, this guy, he's giving me a lot of stuff to do. I, I don't even know how to do it. I can't do this. It's a, it's a huge challenge to take on. It's going to disrupt your everyday operation. Well, see, I had all no you want to do is get high. Yeah, that's, and that's just it. And the problem yeah. I had, but the good thing I had was I had no money. I had a mother that cared that I was in the right quarters. You probably hustled more with no money than you hustle now. No, no, I, I wasn't good at hustling. You know what we would do? We would, we would set up drug deals. We'd go to buy drugs, and then one guy would pull out a gun, we'd walk out with the drugs. And uh, so, so, I, so I did do that, but like I never robbed that kid in the, the, the thing I was accused of. And, um, and I'll never forget, I think I told you, one time I walked out of it, we got this kid, and we walked out, and I'm walking out with a pocket full of heroin, and Rufo pulls up. It turns out he was watching the house, and he's like, Ryan, what are you doing? I'm like, just out for a walk. And he's like, get my car. He's like, give me the drugs. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, give me the drugs. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, and I'll tell you, like, people like, I, I'm amazed. So now, exactly, what do you do with Bill Rick? You do educate. First of all, I want to be very honest with you. Anything you ever need, if somebody needs treatment, somebody needs something, I, I can't give you a, a half a million bucks, but if you call me tomorrow for 30 grand, 20 grand, it'd be on the spot. I, you know. I well, I don't know how that, that works. I don't know yeah. how it works. So the one thing when we talked about when we had heat and we were focused on that aspect of kids in, in recovery, it changed because the state controls your beds and the money goes to the people that are already in power. So we sort of lost those beds through attrition. And the people we were arguing with about losing those beds, one became Mike Botticelli, who, who was Obama's drug czar. And he's in charge of drugs across the country. So you're not going to win an argument with those guys. So they all moved up. But what we did learn later on about is long-term treatment. I didn't know much about long-term treatment, but I learned a heck of a lot about it. You did that with me. Yeah, no, but you just learn more and more about it. And now, in, you never really give it up. Sometimes I make phone calls to say to people, and their name rings a bell, they go, Mike, you, you're Mike Higgins from Heat. I go, yeah. I was, how's Vinny doing? He said, oh, he's doing good. But the same people are in the field still, you know? And even people that have gone through and opened their own houses, we've kept in touch with. So the recovery field now is it's, it's as best as it's ever been to find treatment. Yeah, that's if you want to go. Yeah. The hard part is obviously getting people in there. Now, up in Bill Ricca, I, what we do is I work for the greatest town manager, John Curran, a former Wuben mayor. He's a town oh, manager. Really? Oh, yeah. There's always a tie-in somewhere. You know Yeah, that. well, that's how life is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're all so, threaded together somehow. That's it. That's it. We won't say how sometimes, but... Yeah. Um, John had asked me if, if I'd go up. I helped them set up a search committee for what they should look for for a substance abuse coordinator at the time. Now we call them uh, substance uh, use disorder directors, SUDS directors, whatever the acronym is. It constantly changes, yeah, but the work's the same. Yeah. So we went up there, and um, 
I had just retired from the courthouse, and I'll never forget this. I coached high school girls soccer at Woburn, and we oh, got knocked. No, I'm out of it all, all of that now. So we got knocked out, out of the tournament. It was probably this time, a week earlier, back in 2014. And it's 11:25, in a, in a like Wednesday morning. I find myself down across the street from the courthouse at the old yeah, Tawanda Club. Cool ones, why not? Yeah, no, walking right in. 11.25 in order in a Bud Light, looking up the clock, looking at the bartender, and I just said, I'll see you. Where are you going? He said, I'm going to Bill Renka. I can't do this. I'll be drinking every day. I'll, I'll be coming at yeah. it, you know? Well, yeah, because you, you get at the time and the money. So then I went up to Bill Renka, took a pay cut, and I've been there ever since. But it's pretty good because I took the philosophy we had with heat and imposed it up there. But there's a lot of real good things going on in a lot of communities. I now got exposed to the Lowell community, which is another. Hotbed for dope. But it's another world in its own. It's like Lawrence, but bigger. Do you Lawrence. work with, what's his face up there? At, um, what's the kid's name that I know? Um, God, why am I drawing a blank? He, he, he did himself. Louis, Louis. Oh, yeah. Louis Louis's Diaz? Yeah. yeah. I know Louis quite Louis's well. He's a very good kid. Oh, Louis's doing well with the prison system. He's doing a lot. Yeah, that's how I knew him when I used to work with him. Oh, uh, Louis's the best. He's the best. So, but we now, it's a whole different dichotomy. Huge okay. difference. So when I first got up there, we were having 70 to 80 overdoses a year in just in Borica, in Borica, not deaths, but overdoses. But, well, that's the same thing almost, you know. Yeah. So when I so what do we do? We got to right away go and figure out. Got to get some outreach going on, and we do that. They had two good drug detectors up there too, and now there's just one, and they don't. There's no time for drug detectors much anymore in the region for the towns because they're so short-handed, and they yes. got so much stuff going on. They need know? the drug, but the drug detectives working guys like you. That's a home run. You need the two people together. Yeah, well, in the, and there's one thing I can tell about Barica. They don't cross the path to set you up, to say, do this, you know. They know what you are doing, you're selling. And, and, and if you don't want the help, they're not going to offer it to you. But if you want help, they will offer it to you, too. You know how that works. It's a two-edged yeah. sword. Yeah, sometimes so you have to be forced into it. We have what's called now, it, I've started an, uh, a juvenile program called BOP, Barica Adolescent Recovery Program. There was like we had down, I forget what we call it, Clean Start, I think, down in Woburn when we were there. There was, if someone gets in trouble for kid vaping in school or that gets picked up for minor possession of alcohol, they don't arrest juveniles anymore. We all know that. Don't arrest anyone anymore. You can go rob a bank. I'm just going to stick with juveniles. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Josh, show. you can say what you want. Yeah, I yeah. can't. Okay, sir. No, that's all right. So um, what happens is that there was nothing for this, and in the vape pipes, now nah, vape pipes are crazy. This kids are gonna die from those. Oh, this, this. Uh, I can do a presentation for you on those, but um. So you agree that that's gonna be bad for your lungs, oh, right? Yeah, that's the problem with with the vape situation. It takes almost five years of accurate studies to come up with some causal relationships okay. for problems, right? And we're on the fifth year right now. They took over. The federal government took over the e-cigarettes at the end of 2017. Now we're, now we're right almost 2023, five, six yeah. years. So every study that comes out makes it worse. Yeah. However, we started this adolescent recovery program and I brought people in to teach a vape, teach a course, what was going on. Because we felt that if you're a school and you're having issues in the school, you have an obligation to educate, whether yeah. it be drugs, whether it be alcohol, or whether it be math. If someone's failing at something, you have to educate. And now I'm on my ninth year of BOP. It's very successful. It's one of the only adolescent recovery programs in the whole state. So You must love that. Yeah, I do. And I, but now like I bring my friends in, the teachers, licensed teachers, licensed clinicians, 
we pay for them to come in and do okay. it, and it goes very well, very well. And we don't brag about it. We just do it. No, you never even mentioned it before. To be so honest now the other end of the deal is the police departments now come up with this, this critical management system called SIMS, and it's very good because what it says is that if someone overdoses in Bill Ricca, that's all I can use as an example, in Bill Ricca, every call for an, or an ambulance in the town police department runs the ambulance, but every call is for an overdose is made into a police report so they can share some of the stuff with us, okay. with me in particular. But it doesn't mean they're arrested, it just means they no, can share. No, no, no. So what happens is that they report it, it goes into the central database called SIMS. So for instance, if, if Joe Schmo of Ryan Skinner got arrested in Bill Ricca for, uh, or got, had an, a medical scene that was overdose, an overdose involved, yeah. or alcohol, whatever, he'd go into the Sims, and if you say you lived in Stoneham, they'd send, that Sims would go to both Bill Ricca and Stoneham, so Stoneham would know that Ryan Skinner just got picked up on a medical situation. Okay. So it's across the state and soon to be New England. Yeah, most cities don't do anything, though. You're well, right. A lot do. A lot yeah, do I've now, been doing more it now, okay. and more, yeah. So this is, it's, it's a pretty good thing because it's a central organization and it's police-driven. So I know we follow up in Bill Ricca. It's well, great. that's what I, I was asking yeah. you all. In Bill Ricca, every one of these sims that we get, the detective, Ian Taylor, gets them in. He puts them in. He goes out with me. He and I work together. We follow up in every single one of them. Well, I know that you were. Whether that's... it be alcohol or drugs. Now, <coughs> alcohol is considered an at-risk, which is fine, but what I'm going to say is going to be shocking to some people is that um, most of your detoxes right now, over 80 to 85% of your detoxes in New England are alcohol-related. I don't, I'm going to be honest with you, Mike. I know you said this before, and I'm not saying you're wrong. You know the stats. I don't. Do you think that's that addicts aren't going to detox, or do you think that people are shying away from addiction because of the, uh, everything spiked with fentanyl? I can't answer that. I don't know the true answer to that. I didn't know I'd that. like to think that in the past, like, eight, eight years, the outreach everybody does, we've done, all other towns have too, that that might have something to do with it, but I also think it's shit luck. I really do, because I really believe the word fentanyl is far scarier to these younger kids than the word heroin. Oh, yeah. I, I had no problem shooting heroin. I don't want any pot of fentanyl, you know? And, and it's, now it's in marijuana. It's in everything. No, there's only been three cases. Okay, this, then. I, only been three cases of fentanyl recorded in marijuana across okay. the country. And they happened in, a, in a, to, a small town in Connecticut two years ago. Okay. And those are the only. But now we're starting to see, like, what happened was when people will go for a vape pipe, for example, when, when people get, uh, get caught with a vape pipe in school, if they don't tell you it's, there's marijuana in that vape pipe, they'd go, they'd get the in-house suspension on a Saturday, they'd have to go. But if they told you the vape pipe had marijuana in it, you'd come to my bar program. Okay. We had a birthday last year, a year ago, where no one was really coming. I'm saying, hey, call Channel yeah. 5 News. We've solved the uh, drug problem in Milwaukee. We'll, we'll go on the news and tell them that. That went over big. However, as it turns out, I found swaps for the uh, for the mouthpieces of the vape pipes that could detect if it was marijuana. See, you still are paying the ass. Yeah, <laughs> That's incredible, much. though. Yeah, but that was just to send the people in the right direction yeah. for an educational component. Now, just recently, um, I've just been given information about an influx of. Uh, of a fentanyl based of kids in one of the high schools, which I'm not going to name, okay. 
that I service. And uh, they're like, they're, it's coming with fentanyl. And they're, they're What's claim, it going in? What's it? But you said fentanyl-based what? And vape pipes. And they're saying it's in that. And I'm saying, did they admit that to you? It's a, it's a real scary, not scary, it's a delicate situation where the, these kids could have been taking pills and smoking a vape pipe. Yeah. And they all could have been getting high together, different things. So I just went and got specialized fentanyl test strips for vape pipes just to check it out because if it's in the vape pipes, scary city. Well, they're smoking it? Yeah. And then they're blowing it around other people? Well, just scary city that, you know, it's showing up in their urine tests. Scary. I mean, you don't want that. But I really believe now, like when I said, to, it's, we mostly deal in alcohol. Our overdoses are way down in Barica. And we're a good barometer. That's awesome. Yeah, no, you know what you're we, doing. No, we're a pretty good barometer because we're outside of Lowell, and we're, we're with shit happens, okay? Yeah. We're not like... We know we got issues. I know they have well, issues, yeah, but it's not as bad them. as it was. So I look at that's these, awesome. That's kind of gonna make you feel good. Well, you, you think so I because so. I really believe. You know, do we hear as much about it? We still, when we go to the houses, give out Narcan. When, when we don't tell the people we're coming, when we myself and Ian, yeah. we we do our follow ups. We go cold. We knock on the door. Well, I think that's the way you got to do it. No, no one's gonna answer. No one's looking phone. forward to you. <laughs> I remember when we first started doing this. One out of thirteen answered the phone and called you back. One out of 13. So. You would think if your kid overdosed, it would be the first thing you want is help. You think about that. You think about that now. Imagine no, no, you're going to tell us to pounce in. I would, but my mother wouldn't have. No, true. So what it, what it, what's come about is that at least when we go cold cock and knock on the door, Ian might know them better than I do anyway. I mean, I don't know any kids in Bill Ricker growing up. I didn't grow up there. Yeah. So we'll knock on the door and Sometimes you get shot in your face, you know, it's going to happen in this field. But other times you can at least talk to the mother, the father, or someone else in the family yeah. and hand them a little, we hand them these outreach kits that have, you know, where you can go, what you can do, virtual, non-virtual, in-person, out-of-person. So, and then also in that is, um, <coughs> excuse me, is a knock-in Okay, kit. and it's a description of how to use it and whatnot? It's pretty simple oh. now. There's no more yellow, yellow, oh, okay, purple, sorry. pull and, pull and squeeze. Yeah, before That's it was pretty waiting. much it. But on that box I give them is a training on it. You just hit your Q code, and you can it, it pops up on your phone. Now, can I ask a dumb question? Are they a lot? I feel with a cop there, they would have to open the door. You know what I mean? And keep it open. No, you know some do, some don't want you in there. And he's not there as a cop. He's there as I know. But I thought maybe seeing a cop, they had a kind of. I, I well, obviously I'm wrong. We go in an unmarked car, so we oh, don't, okay. we don't so bring he's, attention. So he's in like jeans and stuff. No, yeah, which, okay. he's a detective, so okay. you don't want to overdo it. Oh, I get that. But. You know, the way things are now, though, it's still happening. Fentanyl is scary, but here's, here's my take on when I told you 80%. I'd say I, I asked four or five of my buddies run detoxes, so they're my experts on it. And they'll pretty much tell the same. I mean, if I'm wrong in my statistics by 5%, I'll be shocked. But during the pandemic, I don't know if you realize it, but during the pandemic, Package stores were considered essential businesses in the state of Massachusetts. I didn't know that. You imagine that? I can vouch for that, though. Why do you think? <laughs> well, I mean, my one thought I really have is if alcoholic, you pull all the alcohol away, they'll have seizures and die. Um, you'll have people turning to drugs if they can't get alcohol. Oh, where else would they have gone during the pandemic? If someone was DT and someone was going to withdrawals, where would they go? Hospital, they'd be a burden. 
Imagine they did that. Yeah, well, the, but we all, we all know the that. pandemic was a joke. They, they put us in our cage. They locked us in. The government should have none of the say. Oh, they probably made 50,000 more alcoholics in the Commonwealth. Oh, God, yeah. I know people who became alcoholics, and they're like, Ryan, I know what else to do. I was drinking, playing video games. I'm like, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Um, but the reality is this. Things are getting better in, like, certain areas where people apply themselves. Like, obviously, you guys being up there, and I know, I know it's not all you, but I'll tell you, I have a client of mine. I won't mention her name on this. And she works for the town. And um, her last name begins with an M. And um, she's like, you know, when, she, when I first told you a friend of mine and how you were my probation officer back in the day, and she's like, oh, Mike's there, tough. He's, he knows his stuff. He's out there. He's really. And I'm, she, nev I'm never going to ask you who it was. I'll tell you when we're out no, there. But because she said how much it's helped the town. And she said, um, I've been working for this town now 25-something years, you know. And she said, now the drug addiction, there's less opioids, there's less heroin. Um, there's a system for parents that are, you know, and now I didn't know the 13 might close the door because what I hear from her is about the people who opened the door and you helped. And, and that's, a, Mike, that's a testament. Like, I bust your balls and we have a lot of fun. We horse around and, um, and God knows I, I busted your quickies high when I was young and like at the wrong way. The and challenge vice versa. was well taken. That's right. I got you in shape. You know, you know, listen, you, you could handle anything after me. Um, I, I think anyways. Um, but man, you've changed a lot of lives. Well, I'll tell you right now, for the last five or six years, you know, it, it used to be Vinny and I making those calls. As probation officers, we were busy enough. But we'd be calling for every drug courts would call us to find beds. You know, come on, do your own work sometimes. I remember Cap, not Reflections. What was the other place they called you? Smart or something? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, They yeah. called you guys. I was in the office one day, and they're like, well, we need help. You get off the phone, you're like, they, 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 they were a drug court. Like, why are they calling me? Right. Well, back then, Vinny and I did a Now there's so many people out helping. You're recovery coaches and... There are so many good ex, the, the former addicts, all the ex Plymouth House guys, like Brian Tagg, like Mike Marshall, like all these guys, some of these woman kids that have been through hell and back. Yeah. They've done a great job with the programs they've set up. They and they and then the a lot of these programs are recovery based. People, oh, yeah. recovery people run them. Now the state's trying to step in and change that a little bit. And that'll fuck it up. No, how it works for you might not be how it works for someone else. Even That's go true. to methadone. The ability to I, I don't. I don't judge that anymore. I used anything. to judge that. You know what? If you're not, if your anything. life's getting you better, I had a kid I was helping out, and he said, "Well, I'm going to go on Suboxone." I know you don't believe it. I said, "Listen, you're snorting fentanyl pills. If we get you on Suboxone, we take it that way for a while. At least I know you're not going to die." Well, yeah, you know they're going to do every other day, not every day. No, see, I'm, I'm hot on people. If I'm in your life and I'm helping you and stuff, I don't care if you're using. But if you're lying, we got a problem. Who and doesn't though? I think if you're close up, listen. When I was struggling. I was very honest with my buddies. You can ask Chuck and those guys. Look, you were a blatant liar. No, in that's back day. back in the day. And these oh, guys oh, are I was, yeah, I was no a, offense. Uh, I was an empty suit. No offense. No, in my 20s, I was an empty suit. When I was a drug addict, and I didn't, because back then I didn't realize that recovery, you weren't going to go to jail. I thought if I got honest with you, I would go to jail. When I struggled after and I knew how the system worked, I would tell my guys, oh man, I can't get, I got four days I picked up, I got three days. I, you know, I bought a pill, I thought it was a opioid, but it was fentanyl. Um, I think if you have good core people in your life and you don't think you're going to jail if you got honest. Yeah. See, see, I don't think, I have the biggest problem in this state anyways is like people think they can go rob a store and you get away with it if it's under a grand. But people don't realize that if you're a drug addict, you can walk into a court and say, hey, I need help. I'm, 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 even if you think, even if you used a class A substance, they want to help. Um, some more than others. That's why I always say like being an addict and woman for me, I hit the lottery. I would have never got that tree. I would have never had people as committed to get me through that. I would have been locked up for a long time. Back then, at least we were in a situation where we didn't try to, well, no, 
barge into your life and say, you need this, you need that. We sort of let it come to us, and if you were ready, we'd do it. You know, we were never ones go in and say, you need to do this, you need to, no, that doesn't work. But I will say now, though, I mean, there's a lot of help out there now. Oh, I agree. There's a lot more help in a lot of different ways, and there's a lot of programs, mostly insurance-based driven, but a lot of good programs. And there's still a lot of people out there that if you don't have any insurance, there's a place to find a good. I tell people all the time, you know, you know if anybody's watching this you, and you need treatment, I, if you know, if you want to change, if you want to live that way, it's your business. If you want to change your life, I'll make it my business. I will write the check and I will get you in somewhere. And and, and I mean that when I had guys going through the jail and they would go through my program, I say, here's what we're gonna do: the first 90 days you're out of here, I'll pay for you wherever you're staying, sober house, halfway house. You get a cell phone, pay for three months. You get three outfits and a pair of sneakers. And for me, people would say, oh, it's nice. And I'm like, you have no idea. I'm barely giving back an iota of what God's given me in this life. You know what I mean? You know where I was. And so like, for me to give back, there's nothing I could do to repay what I've been given. I'm ready to do some kind of commercial. Look at me now, you know what I mean? Well, so. it's just, I mean, I, you know, how do you, you, the only thing, you know, I'm not a big Bible guy, but I know this, to who much is given, much is expected. We're and, not above this and we're not below this. As long yeah. as you're involved in it, you can try to help. Yeah. Even to the day, if someone called me, I could stop making my phone calls. Wow, we haven't heard from you in a long time. Well, but you they know the name, well, yeah. <laughs> No, but I mean, but they same, same, same thing, you know, but you'd like to help, but it's not easy. And I'll say this to people that pay attention to this podcast, and they've heard probably everything coming from you and the guests you've had here. If you're ready for help, don't try to step in until you have an exit plan ready to go, just in case they say yes. I've said this before. But you got to realize that when you're dealing with an, an, an addict, an opiate addict, you, you got to realize... They're only going to give in every now and then. If they can't get their next tie, they're going to come to you, and you sort of got to take advantage of that and get them in somewhere while they're desperate. In a way, it's Joke true. Joke sick is the best gift. Yeah. Pain is yeah. a motivator. Yeah. But so, Mike, I want to end with a few things. One, you got to be a grandfather any day, maybe today. Today, supposedly. Today. I'm killing time with uh, Ryan yeah, Skinner. He's killing time. You know, going yeah, into yeah. <laughs> I think you should probably have your phone out. Um, so that's awesome. Um, you're going to be a kick-ass grandfather. You wouldn't have been 10 years ago, that guy, but this guy would be. I'm the same guy, right? <laughs> I know you are, but I, I didn't guy. see it. I had different eyes. You, you know what? That. I'm going to say something to you. I don't care who hates me as long as my kids still love me. That's all that matters. How's that? Uh, two things. One, wow. I, think you, I think you'd be surprised how few people hate you. I mean, I'll tell you right uh, now. Okay. I pray for you morning and night. I do. I, I'm a, there's some people I pray for. And somebody used to tell me when I was in jail, pray for this guy. If you don't, anybody you don't like, pray for them because you pray for your enemies. And then suddenly I'd pray, rather than pray he died, I'd pray that we just didn't interact and we went our own ways. Then I prayed that God gave you a good life because you did that thing for me with my, my license. Then I prayed that you had a good retirement because then I prayed because I was like, a guy who I literally, and I, hate, I, I feel guilty saying it now, but I, I hated you obviously because you were, I was an addict. You were between me and my addiction. And brought to you, brought to me by Rufo yeah, and yeah, Vinny. Yeah. yeah, and same thing. I, I, Vinny, Vinny, I was friends with before. He still locked. I, I, I remember going, "You're not gonna lock me up for friends." He goes, "Yeah, yeah." I'm like, well, "Why would you f me over?" He goes, "F you." He goes, "You're out drinking, committing crimes in my community. I'm supposed to be." So I, I wasn't there last night. I'm watching a film right about now, Ryan. That looks like you. <laughs> yes, that's you. It's yeah. always on video too. I wasn't smooth, but I'll tell you, man, you've. Um, I, I, can't, I can tell you hundreds of names you could probably have changed, but I can tell you with me, I have a little girl who's four who has a dad. She has autism, special, special needs, and she's got a father. And that's, and that's a, important. And, that, that, and that's, that's a tribute to you, the work you do. Oh, I appreciate that. That's well, a I think you know that. No, 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 I mean, what I do as a father is my, what, on me, but this girl has a dad who shows up. I got clients whose money's managed well. 
They don't have to worry about my, if they call, not getting a phone call, or my, my team gets their paycheck. Um, you've had a profound impact on my life, which is why I want to have you on. It was really important to me to have you, Vin, and, and Bob on at different times. And um, so I'm, I'm excited you have a grandchild. I'll, f I'll be forever fucking grateful for you in my life. I really well, appreciate will. that. And, uh, and, and I'm but glad. But you know how to handle it, though. You know the goods and the bads, but you can sit back and laugh about the bads now. And I, I can, can sit yeah, back and laugh course. about the bads yeah. because there's been so many goods and so many bads. Yeah. But why thrive on the bad? Yeah, and I, I used to sit and worry about the bads and wait for the shooter drop, but now uh, I'm blessed. Also, next year we're going to be launching. I'm going to buy a piece of property and we're going to launch a recovery house. And I really want to have somebody like you involved. I'm not going to run it. I want to. No, I, I'm not, I'm not you can equipped speak to. At it for sure. And my thought is people say, well, why would you do it? I said, well, because I can own the land, so I would eventually appreciate and I can give back something small, and, the, and, I, and I can make sure it's run the way I want. Like a friend of mine, a guy named Ed, who you know, wanted to do something with me, but he, he didn't believe in a lot of the AA stuff. And I said, well, that's, that's, that's got to be in there for me. It's got to be an option for people, at least. But, um, and know, now the recovery homes run by, the halfway the, houses run by addicts now might change with some new state bills and stuff, yeah, which is cool. Right, yeah. See, that's so, the thing is I'm not going to be in it for the money because I've got this business and the coaching business. I just want to do something small. And my thought is the money for me is I'll own the land 30 years later. My so I just got to tell one story. All right. Through all this, you heard Ryan's story about reflections cap, going to jail, going up, being up there. So I have to go to jail to have Ryan sign these papers <laughs> to go to this place, reflections cap. I'm working on a plea bargain for him. I got to go up there and... and I know I don't want to use go. the words. Use the words. You can be free. no, no, no. I'm not gonna. I said, ready. Why am I doing this? All right, I'll go up. I'll go up. You know, he's got a. He's waiting in a room. I go into this room, and we're like looking at each other. Fuck you. Fuck you. Basically, back and forth. You know what I mean? <laughs> and all of a sudden, like he still doesn't trust me. He still thinks I'm pulling something off. All of a sudden, the alarms go off. All the doors are locked. It's just he and I in this office. I'm looking at him like I'm looking at you. Is this going to happen? Are we going to go at it? Is this is this going to be real here? Is this going to be real? I thought it was happening. I really no, did. no. We were both sitting there. Okay. I think if someone moved, it would have happened. Yeah. Even yeah. if somebody sneezed. Oh, God, we could have. So that's what I'm saying. I guess I survived this. I can survive anything. So we'll move on. The highlight of that day was the fact that the night before, Mike forgot to shut his window on his car. So he was soaking wet, and that made me so happy. Yeah. Now, meanwhile, I'm in a jumpsuit in a jail. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm soaking wet. He goes, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you know, it's been a great ride. It's still uh, going. Ryan, I give you credit. You're willing to, you know, as well as you move up the ladder and do well with yourself personally, at least you don't forget. You don't forget. You're a good person. You have a great personality. You're a very giving person. But as long as you don't forget, you'll always be that person, you know? I learned it from you guys, honestly. Every one of you guys gave far more than you were supposed to do at your job. And so I realized if I'm going to be part of something bigger than myself, because it's exciting. It was exciting for me. It's exciting for me to see other people get better. Listen, at some point you make enough money. Money that doesn't do it for you anymore. No. And you know what I mean. And if you're blessed to have kids and you love them and they love you, that's great and that's important. But you still need some purpose that you're giving because you're supposed to do for your kids. You're supposed to love your kids, right? I mean, they're kids. But when you do something for somebody for no reason that you're going to benefit out of than just do the right thing, like I mean, you guys, the heat program, but me going through that program, there was nothing in for you guys. And no, no, just to, just to maintain. Just to help right. somebody. Because the right. truth is, it would have been easier to just put me in jail where I belonged. Um, and so that's what I, I try to do. It's just everything I do, I've learned from somebody else. Ryan Skinner for state senator. <laughs> yeah, right. Believe me, I'm the last guy. Are you kidding me? I, I belong. If anything, I'd be better off back in jail. Being so, but now the dichotomy has changed so much in this field. You know, I love to talk about this. 
and also I'm going to touch base on one other thing, all the opioid money that's coming to each individual towns. For example, Bill Ricca, we're going to get like 980000 this year in the old opioid settlement money, but it's restricted to be spent towards opiates. And that ship has sort of sailed a little. Most of my work now is marijuana, vaping, marijuana, yeah. vaping, they shouldn't control and alcohol. Money. Yeah, you've got to tweak it a little bit, but they're a little behind the times. So that's, like, I never thought that after all these years I'd be sitting there trying to educate a kid to, no, Smoke excuse me, not to get stoned or not to get drunk. Well, you know, it's, it's all the same. It's, it's different You're right about that, yeah. And you know, if they're smart, the way I look at it, like when I start that place up, I'm going to have the guys around and say, go in whatever direction we need. That's the way I look at it, because none yeah. of us know, and unless you're right on the ground level, you just shut the fuck up, give them the money, give them whatever you're supposed to do. Don't try to steer the ship, because it's not a ship that's easy to steer. Well, what's needed is transition. I mean, long-term works, but what's needed in this area is someone that, like we've set up some programs now with Casa Esperanza and Tuxbury that if someone is shit-faced and has an issue or someone's high, we can now, uh, we have a dedicated beds up at, up at Tuxbury State Hospital at Casper Esperanza that police can bring them right to there. Really? On my call. On my call. That's we pretty can, cool. Yeah, huh? and then we with the mental health end of the deal, uh, people involved in restraining order, people involved in domestic violence, we can uh, find, him, find them beds immediately right away, and we pay for it. So that's pretty good. That's really good. But the needs now are in between. A temporary, like, um, I don't know if I'm saying the right word, but... Um, the in-between would be um, whatever the word is. That's that's what's missing. Yeah. Temporary facil holding facilities till we can find the person. It's almost like, yeah, like another TSS. Or Transitional in a way. Yeah, yes. yes. Yeah. Yep. Well, these are things we should talk about. Sure. Grateful to have you here, Big Doc. Hey, my pleasure. Ron. And I even bought you a pie. Oh, thank you. Well, I feel special. Thank you. Thank <laughs> I you, guys. Bought a pie. See, years ago I would have thrown it at me. You probably would have thrown it at me, folks. Um, this is what it's about. It's about, you know, cracking the code. It's about people coming into each other's lives. None of us do this alone. Somehow we're all intertwined by some weird thing, and I don't know how it is, but uh, call it God, spirit of the universe, whatever the hell it is, I'm, I'm grateful for it. Have a great day.